Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus that he planted. And we've been talking about, um, we've not been going verse by verse through the book, but we've talking, we're talking about some themes that emerge in the book of Ephesians. And so we've talked about position. Um, this is how the book opens, which is really interesting because... Um, the first three chapters of the book are about your position in Christ, and the last three chapters are about your practice. And it's true in most cases that we actually practice in order to get a position. But God has reversed that, and we actually have a position in Him, and now we practice out of that. We actually belong to Him before we become anything which flies in the face of everything that you know. Really a a profound truth of how God initiates in our lives and establishes us, founds us, that we belong to Him, and then we start to become. I tell this story often about my cousin, Rollin. We grew up snowboarding and surfing, and about halfway through high school, he started to hang out with a guy who um, branded cattle and lived on a ranch, and that was, the, that, was, that was what started the whole thing, is Rollins started hanging out with him. Rollins didn't go get the boots and get the keystone and get the cooler and get the dog in the back of his truck first <laughs> in order to start hanging out. He started hanging out, and then he got boots, and he got keystone, and he got a cooler, and he got a dog in the back of his truck. And it was a weird transition for me because we grew up skating and snowboarding together. And now all of a sudden, he's at a branding uh, you know, uh, ho- doing what they do at brandings. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Branding things, cows. And uh, this truth is laid out in the book of Ephesians. We, we participate with him. We have a position with him before we begin to practice our Christianity. And many of you have got that switched up. You, you keep thinking that if you were to actually become, practice, if I did this, when I do this, when I've got this lined up, then, then I'll have a position with God. You actually have position right now that you can practice out of. But we're at this really uh, pivotal point in the book of Ephesians. Paul's been talking about our position, and now he's going to start talking about our practice. And there's this passage inside Ephesians that the whole book kind of uh, hinges on, transitions on. And uh, it is this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. I beg you, live a life worthy of the calling, for you have been called by God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Paul starts to beg us to take stock, 
Take stock in the truths that are laid out in these first three chapters. Take stock. Buy into the truths that are laid out in these first three chapters. And then live. Live in a way that embraces all that God's done. The resources that we've been given have been pretty clearly laid out. We've talked about this. We talked about our position and that we have a position based on justification. That God has justified us. And that because we've been justified, we experience a connection with Him. And not only a connection with Him, but connection with others. Because we've been reconciled to Him, we can now be reconciled to others. And so we've talked about position, justification, justification and connection. And today I want to talk about representation. That we're called to represent Christ. And you've probably heard a message um, about this. And, and, and I really want to reframe today the way you relate to this. Because we're going to talk about your, your spiritual formation. And that process has probably been frustrating for some. And what I, what I encounter when I start to even think about my own process and then talk to other people about their own process is there's like a, a frustration that comes around um, our, our spiritual formation. It's not unlike what goes on with our finances. When you bring that up with somebody and they then say to you, I know what I should be doing. I should be balancing my checkbook. We shouldn't be eating out as much. You know, and here comes this laundry list of things that they should do to get their finances in order. Or your uh, gut. You know, it's like, hey, how's that, uh, how's that diet going? Well, I know that I shouldn't be eating this, and I know that I should exercise more, and I know I should do these things. And it's not very different to bring up people's spirituality and the formation that's going on that the Holy Spirit's up to inside of their lives. And they go, I know what I should do. I should be waking up at this time. I should be having a devotion from this time to this time that should take me through the Bible in one year. You know, I should be going to church more often. I should get there for a pre-service prayer, and then I should stay late. And you know, It's like this is the way we relate to this process. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that that will change today, that you would understand that you are God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece. And masterpieces are handcrafted. They're not mass-produced. And you are not your project. You are God's project. So we don't strive harder. We surrender. We don't resist his process in our lives. And so if you're already, if, even when I say the words, so, because we're supposed to represent Christ to the world, everyone's like, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to do this, and I got to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to balance my checkbook. I'm going to wake up at five. Uh, just stop that stuff for a second. Because um, I'm hoping that by the end of this that you'll have an idea um, of his plan, of his glory, and how that relates to your growth and your calling. And by the end of this, I'm going to tell you what your calling is in life. And you can make your checks payable to Radiant Church. <laughs> I think June and, and uh, man, we've had some good, good guest speakers. June, uh, Doug, Michael have all done a fantastic job of helping us to understand that our position comes before our practice. 
The Bible's pretty ripe with uh, language and imagery that helps us understand our role and our call to represent Christ. Um, even the word uh, Christian, if you confess to be a Christian, uh, means little Christ. Um, uh, other, uh, in other places, Paul talks about being ambassadors. And as I thought about us representing him, um, not, not only is it important, um, I, I think first we need to establish that you've got to know him. You've got to know him to represent him. And when I think about God's call for us to be a witness, God doesn't expect you to testify to what you've not seen. Did you know that? <laughs> he doesn't expect you to be a witness and to testify to what you've not seen. Witnessing becomes really easy when you've experienced something. And it's very difficult when you've not. Look at the way that... Uh, let's look at the way that, call, the way that Paul concludes the third chapter and then transitions into the chapter having to do with your walk. But listen to how he concludes these first three chapters about your position and about who God is. Because we've been talking for weeks about who God is. And now in view of his mercy, we're going to start living responsibly. But it's in view of who he is. Chapter 3, verse 14 says, when I think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You, you, you're hearing Paul, I hope, say, you've got to know. And I pray, I'm begging God that you'd experience these. And that you would begin to then live out of these resources. But you've got to tap in. You've got to know. You've got to understand. You've got to experience before you begin the worthy walk. So I came up with an equation, which is a little bit scary because I haven't had math in about a decade. But I've got an equation. Um, because something started to unfold for me as I began to read these passages in Ephesians. And I started to think, because I think when we think about our calling when we think about our growth, um, it can become uh, very individualized. And we can start to um, uh, separate ourselves from the bigger picture of God's plan. And I want you to see the connection between your calling and your growth and his glory and his plan. And so what I want to say in this equation 
is that his plan and his glory equals your growth and your calling. His plan, his glory equals our growth and, and our calling. And I guess that I'm hoping that you'll get a, a little bit more clarity on what his plan is, what his glory is, and what your part is in it. Um, because I, as I thought about it, I thought to myself, you know, if we're going to represent him, it's obviously good that we know him, which Paul is charging us to do here at the end of Ephesians 3, but that we not just know him, but that we also understand his plan. What is he up to? What's the goal of this? Where are we headed together? That we wouldn't just experience him, but we'd also know what his um, thoughts are and what his heart is towards. I was taken by this first, uh, this first verse that we read, chapter 3, verse 14, that says, When I think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. When I think of the wisdom and the scope of God's plan, God's plan, there is no calling and there is no worthy walk apart from God's plan. I know that, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it can be really difficult during the course of the day to recognize that God even has a plan. I know that uh, we say this to each other often, and I know that I get paid to say this to you, but, and we say to each other when something's gone on, something tragic, something difficult, when there's some bumps in the road, we say, well, it must be part of God's plan. It's God's plan. You've got to trust in God's plan. And I think it's pretty easy to say these things and, and recite these things, but pretty difficult to live, um, you know, day by day and moment by moment, recognizing that God has a plan, especially for anyone here that's faced, like, I mean, some serious tragedy. Most days feel a little bit confusing. Most days feel a little bit chaotic, and some days... I don't recognize that God has his hand in or he's got a plan that day. And I live for what Paul's talking about here. Because there are those moments for me where I stop and I recognize the wisdom and the scope of God's plan. And it has that effect. You fall to your knees. And I am living for those moments. They don't happen every day. I'd like to say that they'd happen, you know, every week. Maybe. I don't know. But I am living for these moments where you recognize God's plan. And it's like you can see it. Oh, my goodness. All this time you were doing this and arranging this. And this person and this heartache and this, um, these circumstances. It's like, it all, it's like you get it, you know. It's like the wisdom and, and the scope of God's plan is revealed and I am uh, living for those days. I find that sometimes in my conversations with people, it's, it's, it's much easier to dismiss the idea that God even has a plan than it is to reconcile how this suffering and these difficult circumstances are a part of his plan. That's how we get deism, this idea that God has wound up the clock and has just left us to fend for ourselves. 
because it's so difficult to reconcile what we see going on in Haiti to God's plan. So difficult to reconcile. Maybe you've lost someone really close to you. So difficult for us to reconcile the tragedy and the circumstances we're facing to this idea that God has a plan. And so we just dismiss the idea that he's superintendent on the job. Well, there is a God, but he's somewhere out there. He's obviously not intricately involved in the affairs in my life. And what scripture tells us is that he is intricately involved in the affairs of your life. He didn't just wind this clock up. He hasn't just left you as an orphan. He hasn't left you for dead. There's actually a plan for your life. And he's able to work what's going on in your life now in accordance with his will and his plan for your life. Earlier in Ephesians 1, I I really feel like we get a really clear idea of what God's plan is. Because God's plan from the beginning has been to make for himself a people. God's plan from the beginning has been to make for himself a people. In Ephesians 1 it reads, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Peter echoes this in a, in a, in a fantastic uh, passage that says, but you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not a people, and now you're the people of God. God's plan from the beginning has been to make for himself a people. But it doesn't just stop there because Ephesians also tells us that his plan includes us doing good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. You've heard this passage before probably that says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's not just that he would have a people, that he would make for himself a people, but these people would do the works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, so that we can, as we do the works that he's prepared in advance for us to do, that we would be the imitators of God. Ephesians 5 says it this way, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So here's the idea, is that we would carry on the family name. That we would carry on the family, that he would make for himself a people, that those people would be obedient and do the things that he's prepared in advance for them to do, and they would be imitators of God. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name, that you would carry on the family name. You would represent, you would be a representation as an imitator of God. 
And maybe you've noticed this, but um, this word that appears over and over again in the book of Ephesians, if you've been reading it, is glory. To the praise of his glory. Over and over again in Ephesians, glory, this idea of glory. And if you've been a part of a church for any time, you've probably heard this word before. And it's one of those words that I like to say, and I'm not actually quite sure what it means when people are like, to the glory of the revolution or whatever, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, what does that mean, you know? (laughs) It's like glory, you know, and you're like, yeah, glory, you know, what is this? I want you to see the connection between his plan and his glory. That his plan is to the praise of his glory. Glory uh, implies a weight. Glory implies weightiness. It suggests an order to your life. Glory suggests order to your life. It's someone or something that's preeminent. The person who glories has an organizing center to their life. And it's not that we can only glory in Jesus. Many of you have an organizing center to your life that is not Jesus. For many of you, the thing, the the, the person or the thing that carries the most weight in your life is not Jesus. There is not an organizing center to your life. You're not living your life for His glory. He's not the weightiest thing in your life. His opinion doesn't matter the most. He's not the organizing center to your life. And your calling is for His glory. The worthy walk is that He would be at the center. He would be the organizing center of our lives. What we do, who we are, would revolve around it. As I read um, down into uh, the later parts of Ephesians, I was really struck by this passage. It says, Now glory be to God by His mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. May He be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever. May He be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. May He be given glory in the church. I found myself as I was reading this week just praying, God, would you receive glory in the church? Would you, would you have preeminence in the church? Would you be the weightiest thing in the church? Would your weight be recognized in the church? Would there be glory again in the church? Glory in the church. Glory in the church. An organizing center to our lives in the church. We all know that the church has fallen from a place of glory. We know that the church has fallen 
from the place that it once had, especially in North America. And as I thought, I began to uh, realize that I really believe that the church has fallen from glory because Christ has fallen from glory in the church. He's not the organizing center of our lives. He's not most important. He's not preeminent. His weight is not the weightiest thing in our lives. What other people think matters more than what he thinks. And the reason that I want to talk about this issue of glory is because when we, are, when we glory in something, we're dedicated to it and we make sacrifices for it. This is worship and you're doing it constantly. There aren't some people who worship God and some people who don't worship. Everybody is worshiping. Everybody has an organizing center to their lives. Everybody recognizes someone or something as being preeminent, as carrying weight. And I think what's difficult is we start to understand God's plan, that his plan is for his glory. I've got my own plan, and my own plan is for my own glory. And so I'm on a little bit of a, I got a little bit of a standoff going inside. The reason I want to bring up glory is because if you've got a problem growing, you've got a problem with glory. If you were to show me, show me someone who's growing, and I will show you someone who's glorying. And I'm not just talking about in your spirituality right now. I'm talking about in life. If you, if, if you find a relationship with a boyfriend and a girlfriend where they have taken that person and put that person in the place of glory, that person now carries the most weight in their life. That person is now the organizing center. That person is now preeminent. I will show you a relationship that's growing. Find somebody who's taken, um, you know, an instrument or um, uh, taken an experience and put that experience in the place of glory. I'll show you a person who's dedicated to it, real dedicated to it. They bought the shirt. They've got the bumper sticker. They're sold out. It's what they do. They're dedicated to it, and then they start to sacrifice things for it. Everybody's doing this. And if you're here and you're going, man, another talk about representing Christ. And I feel like I've been stuck doing the same things over and over again. And you're not growing. I think your issue is with glory. Someone or something else is in the place of glory. Someone or something else is the weightiest thing in your life. And that area is growing. You might be growing and your self-worship you might be growing in um, self-satisfaction. I, I don't know. There, there, there is someone or something that's been put in that spot. So understand that his plan is for his glory. And your growth is connected to his glory. If you will glory in him. I'm watching this happen in the people around me. It happens so quick. It happens so quick in the life of a believer when they actually give that top spot away. God becomes uh, what, they're, what they glory in and the person who, they, who carries the most weight, they grow so quickly. Haven't you seen this before? Where it, it takes no time. No time. 
because he's preeminent in their lives. If you've got an issue with growing, you've got an issue with glory. And I'd like to ask you today, maybe who or what is in that place of glory? Could be someone, could be something, could be an experience. And our calling is to grow. Our calling is to grow. Our calling is to mature. Our calling is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And you will not grow unless you've got Jesus in the place of glory. So here's the passage. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. If we're going to lead a life worthy of the calling that he's placed, it might be a good thing to understand what his calling is on your life. And you are called. Here we go. To be formed by the Spirit of God and to the likeness of the Son of God. Called. His calling on your life is to be formed by the Spirit of God into the image of the likeness of the Son of God. To be transformed. And I know that you were hoping that I was going to say that your calling is to be an archaeologist or, you know, your calling in life is to um, do something other than work at Starbucks. I know that that's what you were longing to hear. It's so funny. I have so many conversations with people about their calling, you know, because you do something like take sign-ups for kids, and then uh, people get back to you, and they're like, well, you know, I just don't think kids are my calling, you know? (laughs) I'm like, I don't give a rat's about your calling. (laughs) I'm not sure that's my calling, man. This isn't my calling, you know? Hey, well, you should be, you know, connected to a community of believers. You know, I'm not so sure that's my calling, you know. And I think when I have conversations with people about their calling, it gets really weird because it becomes so much about you, your calling. What's my calling? What's my calling? Am I supposed to be a doctor, a missionary, you know, uh, whatever? And what I want to say to you is that being an archaeologist like Indiana Jones is only a means to this end. Your calling is not unique to you. You do not have a unique calling. This may sound harsh to you. You don't have a unique calling. We share the same glorious future together. Now, how God does that in your life, how God forms you, transforms you, It's completely unique to you. And I, sh- I think the church has done a great disservice by um, uh, presenting things like one size fits all. Your calling is not unique to you. This passage uh, deeper in Ephesians uh, It says we're all one body. We got the same spirit. 
And we've all been called to the same glorious future. Be formed by the Spirit of God into the likeness of the Son of God. How the Holy Spirit does this in your life, it is. It's completely unique. One size does not fit all. The way that you grow, the experiences that you have, the things that go on in your life that the Holy Spirit uses to form you is completely unique, but your calling is not. I want to make a couple points about your calling. Let me, let me tell you about your calling. And, uh, and then we're going to conclude our time by baptizing Andrew Clark. You guys ready? Your destination, your destination today is, is we're gathered here. Everyone's going to leave from here and go in different directions. But your destination is not unique to you. The road you take to get to that destination, completely unique to you. The way that the Holy Spirit leads and guides and informs and grows you, completely unique. You are God's masterpiece, says Scripture. You're God's masterpiece. I want to read a a little excerpt from uh, a book that I got from a speaker who uh, spoke at a conference on spiritual formation at Fresno Pacific last week. But I thought it was really um, interesting in regards to talking about how God is going to work in your life, the road that you're going to walk with him in order to get to this destination. I think some of our resistance towards maturing in Christ is that we have a certain idea of how that goes. Because a pastor gets up here and tells you, you know, from 8 to 9 every morning, I'm, re- I'm in my word, you know, and spending time with the Lord. And you go, man, it's been a couple weeks since I've done that. It's been a couple months since I've done that. I've maybe never done that. So you've got this idea that this is how it happens. And so for the mom with four kids, she's got difficulty spending an hour in the word each morning. Our resistance towards it is that we think that maturity happens in a certain way. He says this, no matter how many kids I have, wait, sorry. Should have highlighted this. He writes, if we really want to help someone grow, we will have to help them in a way that fits their wiring. Our great model for this is God himself, for he always knows just what each person needs. He had Abraham take a walk, Elijah take a nap, Joshua take a lap, and Adam take the rap. He gave Moses a 40-year time out, He gave David a heart and a dance, and he gave Paul a pen and a scroll. He wrestled with Jacob, argued with Job, whispered to Elijah, warned Cain, and comforted Hagar. He gave Aaron an altar, 
Miriam a song, Gideon a fleece, Peter a name, and Elisha a mantle. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender with the woman caught in adultery, patient with the disciples, blistering with the scribes, gentle with the children, and gracious with the thief on the cross. God never grows two people the same way. God's a handcrafter and not a mass producer. You are God's project, you're God's plan, you're God's workmanship. And I think that um, I want to end by making this point that when we come to Christ, we understand that there are, is a gap, right? You know, someone gives us a track and it has this, um, you know, uh, illustration of a guy standing on one side of a bluff and then God on the other side, and the cross that falls and forms that bridge between the two. But we all recognize, we come to Christ knowing that there's a gap between us and God. And then that salvation experience is that the grace of God comes to us to assist us in bridging that gap, right? There's this gap. We recognize, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean God's up there, and then at the same time, whoa, 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 I'm down here. And then the grace of God comes to us and helps bridge that gap. Divine assistance comes from God to bridge that gap. But then after our salvation, we embark on this road of sanctification or transformation where there's another gap, which is you currently, you as you are, and you the way God intends it to be, right? Everyone recognizes that it's like, you know, you and then you 2.0, the updated version, you know. <laughs> this is, there's a gap, there's another gap I'm dealing with here. And what I want to say to you as you think about your calling and think about this gap that you've been staring at maybe for years is that it's not just God's intention that we would be saved by grace, but that we would also live by grace. That grace is a part of bridging this gap for salvation, but grace is also required for bridging this gap of transformation and becoming the person that God intended you to be. Grace is required. And you need to recognize today that you are not your project. You are God's project. So this comes down to, like I said, not trying harder, but maybe surrendering. Every one of us in this room right now is resisting conversations that we need to have. Every one of us is having the Holy Spirit point things out to us that we are turning our heads toward, you know, away from. Every one of us is probably walking the grocery store, turning the corner, seeing that person that you don't want to see, and then finding another aisle quickly because you don't want to engage in conversation. This is not about you making it happen. This is about you stop, you stop resisting what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in your life. You stop ignoring his voice. You stop hardening your heart. He's constantly at work bringing spiritual formation in your life. Constantly at work molding. I want to encourage you to surrender to that. The cool part about this idea of your calling 
being, uh, being to be formed by the Spirit of God into the likeness of the Son of God is that everything aligns with this and works towards this end. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you've got a dead-end job. It works. <laughs> it's a, it aligns with your calling. I don't care if you've got no job. It's perfect. It works with your calling. If your calling is to be formed by the Spirit of God into the likeness of the Son of God, there's not, there aren't any circumstances that we face that can't guide us or help us to that end. Everything that we've been resisting now becomes a perfect opportunity for us to grow in our calling. One of these things happened to me uh, at Red Robin. I, I was thinking about this message. I had been reading Ephesians over and over again. And then Tiff and I took the girls to Red Robin. And uh, Red Robin's a pretty hopping spot there in the mall. And I had to wait. And so I've got Remy, who doesn't like to be held, and, and Avery, um, who likes to talk to just pretty much anyone and everyone. And they're running around. And so we put our name on the list, and I had been thinking about this. I'm like, okay, so my calling, my calling in life is to be formed by the Spirit of God into the likeness of the Son of God. This is the calling. This is, for, this is His plan. This is for His glory, and this is about my growth and my calling. And I'm looking to walk this thing out. And they take my name down on the list, and we've got, you know, they say five, ten minutes tops, you know. And then other Groups come in behind us. And then what starts to happen is the worst thing that could ever happen to someone is they start seeding the people who came in after you. And I, I mean, everything in me is just burning inside, you know? And, and then I start to think to myself, all right, well, maybe it was because they had, you know, we're only four people and what was available was a table for six. But it just keeps going. Smith's, you know, party of eight, you know, Jefferson's, party of three. You know, and they just keep escorting people to the tables, you know, and I'm trying to round up Remy and keep Avery, you know, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here, man? They're, they're seating people bef- before us. I wrote my name down, you know, like, what, what's going on, you know, and I'm trying to think, okay, okay, okay. So my calling in life is not to be right. My calling in life is not to be comfortable. My calling in life um, is not to be served. But my calling as Ephesians lays it out as to be humble like Jesus is humble, patient like Jesus is patient. And so I'm thinking to myself, this is perfect. This is my calling right now. <laughs> to have, this is a part of my calling in life. You know, this is my success story. This is an incredible inf- invitation for me to be right smack dab in the center of God's will for my life. And then finally, I just can't take it anymore, you know. And I just walk up and I'm like, is, there's been, you know, it's been about 15 minutes and there's been about 10 families seated before we have. And they're like, oh, you know, I just, we just skipped your name, you know. And uh, I was like, great, you know. But it, again, it was like, I got a glimpse um, that the, the, this opportunity, that these circumstances, I know it sounds tragic, it's real bad, but that these, these very difficult circumstances were actually aligned quite well with my calling in life. To recognize His plan, to recognize His glory, for Him to be the weightiest thing in my life. To not have my comfort and my success and my time in the place of glory. 
Hebrews 3.1. Paul writes at the beginning beginning of this chapter and says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. This is someone who understands his plan and his glory is for our growth and our calling. He doesn't say, I, Paul, imprisoned by Rome, falsely. He even recognizes that his prison sentence, that it's not Rome that's keeping him captive, but this is part of God's plan for his life. Do you know that about the dead-end job that you're working right now? Do you know that about the frustrating relationships that you're in right now? That there are amazing opportunities to participate in God's plan and to walk out your calling. This is your calling. Those frustrating relationships you've been called to. Hebrews 3.1. So I have a sense... um, Today, as we conclude our time, that um, maybe there are some of us who just need to say, you know, God, I I want to uh, put you in the place of glory. I recognize that something or someone else has been in the place of glory. I've been really dedicated to it and making sacrifices for it. And it's um, really, really worshiping in the wrong spots here. And then I can recognize that because I've been doing that, there's been no growth in my life with you and my walk with you. I've not been growing. And then I recognize that um, I've not been giving myself to what you've called me to. And I've been more interested in my plan and, and my glory. <clears throat> Hebrews 3.1, Paul says this, Therefore, holy brothers and all add sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, holy brothers, sisters, we share in a heavenly calling. Brothers and sisters, we share a glorious calling. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest whom we confess. I know this may be disappointing for those of you who are trying to figure out what college you were going to go to. But it's actually kind of beautiful because both those colleges will work towards this end. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Be humble like Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united with the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. We are all one body, we have the same Spirit, and we've all been called to the same glorious future. His plan and His glory equals your growth and and your calling. I'm going to pray. God, thanks for your grace that doesn't just save us but transforms us. Thank you for your grace that, um, that you've asked us to live by because we can all recognize that, um, that you've got something better for us. 
and there's something more that you intended. And we're kind of frustrated with the gap that lies between the, you, the me that we are and the me that you've called us to be. And so just ask right now that your grace would come and, and, and wash over us, empower us. to walk worthy of the calling that you've given us. Thank you for the glorious future that we have. Thank you for your commitment to us, to form us, to grow us, to mature us, that we'd be a, uh, people that live in the likeness of Jesus. Thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time. I